1: we had bankruptcy then after that we moved into another small house and i really believed that everything was going to be okay but i began to notice he was having an affair with the next door neighbor we had a one-story house she had a two and i would stand out in the backyard in the dark and look up and see her standing in the upstairs window waving and blowing kisses to my husband who was standing out in the front yard
2: G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, we have a cautionary tale for you today as Kay Painter wants people to learn from the mistakes in her life. In Marriage number 1, she responded to her husband's affair by having one of her own and later had an abortion. She's the author of the book From Sin to Sorrow to Service. And Karen Hunt caught up with Kay in Boise, Idaho, USA.
1: I lived a happy day's life, if you know what that is, down there the in show. Australia. <laughs> I had a very happy childhood. I was raised within the church. I lived in the Pacific Northwest. My parents took me to church, but they never brought me to church. I was dropped off and picked up. My father had had an issue at one time and uh, with the church, so he would not step inside a church. So I was raised in the church. I grew up in the church. I knew the scriptures. I knew everything there was to know about looking like a christian i was a typical teenager got into a little mischief but never any bad trouble Mm -hmm. i graduated from high school did a year and a half of college and then i found myself in love and i got married once i walked away from graduation i also walked away from god i can't say i walked away from the church i continued to go to church but i didn't ask him into my life daily i didn't ask him about the man i decided to marry i didn't ask him about anything. I did it Kay's way. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while the marriage was fine and then things turned very ugly. I discovered he had a horrible temper. I dated him for a year and yet I discovered his temper. It was physical abuse sometimes but mostly emotional abuse. And those are scars you can't see. They make deep scars within us that we don't even realize we have. Mm. I began to feel isolated. I knew every time something went wrong, I knew it was going to be my fault. Everything revolved around me being wrong. And I discovered that K Painter just had no value at all. I was very lonely. I withdrew. I didn't care about my appearance. I didn't care about anything.
3: So you must have felt like, yeah, I, I'm too damaged. I'm I'm nothing.
1: How did you survive? I used to believe that God made me so he'd have something to laugh at. I was a
3: joke. Your first husband, how long did that relationship last? 18 years.
1: Whoa. You're a slow learner, hey? (laughs) As you will find out when you read the book, yes, I am. I was so lonely. I was so isolated. I felt so useless. And there was a separation between us, but I was always afraid to challenge him in anything whatever because it would mean a hit or it would mean i would be verbally put down We began to run with a group of people that, I can't say they were wild, but we did a little drinking and we went dancing. We never did things like that before. And one night across the room, a man who was not half the looker of my husband looked at me and smiled, and I recognized he saw value in me. Mm. And through that involvement and through that smile, things began to grow, and I actually had an adulterous affair with this gentleman, breaking up my own family, breaking up his family completely destroying the lives of five small children, but I was so hungry, so lost for attention, for someone to notice me, for someone to love me, for someone to say I had value. I was very happy with having an adulterous affair, very sure that when I walked out and took my two girls and we moved to a neighboring town that I have found a man who really understood me, who really loved me, who had been misunderstood just like I was and that we were going to have a fairy tale life. Sin has a season, and after that, you pay a price. You always will. After a few years, I began to discover he was cheating on me. We call it having an affair, but what it is is adultery. Mm -hmm. And we need to call it what it is, because affair sounds much prettier and much nicer. I don't know why people believe, why we women, or even men, believe that If he can't be faithful when he's married to one woman, what on earth makes us think he's going to be faithful when he's married to us? We are the exception. He wouldn't do that to me. But as a matter of fact, once you've done that the first time, from my understanding, and I've only done it once and that was enough, it's an ongoing thing. It's very easy once you've started that cycle and stepped over that line to continue in that lifestyle. So you had five children by this stage. I had two of my own and he had three. Mm -hmm. So there were five children involved in two families that were all torn apart. We had bankruptcy. Then after that, we moved into another small house, and um, I really believed that everything was going to be okay. But I began to notice he was having an affair with the next-door neighbor. We had a one-story house. She had a two. And I would stand out in the backyard in the dark and look up and see her standing in the upstairs window waving and blowing kisses to my husband who was standing out in the front yard mm. of our home in the dark while I stood in the back and watched. Mm. One day I came home from work several months later. He'd taken the pictures out of the picture frames on the wall that were his family. He took his toiletries, his tools, his clothes, the things he wanted, left the, the key and the uh, garage door opener sitting on the, on the counter and had openly moved next door. During this affair that he had with a next-door neighbor, we found ourselves, my husband and I, that I was having a baby, and it was not planned. I had been told I couldn't have children because I was just one of those who could never get pregnant again. My first daughter was now about 14, and we had adopted a daughter that was now 13, and having a baby was not in the plan. Mm -hmm. So I went to a center to get checked out, and sure enough, I was pregnant where I was told it was still just tissue. There was not a baby there yet, and if we hurried, we could get it taken care of in two quick, easy appointments. I'd never have to think about it again. I could go on with my life, and I was running a business at that time, and it would just be so much easier if I would just take care of the problem. I went home and discussed it, and I talked him into the abortion. Because of that abortion... I uh, had nightmares. I saw them throw the baby's body in front of me in a garbage can, and I heard the body hit the garbage can, and I knew at that time it was not just tissue, and because of the nightmares and other things, my husband began to be more and more distant from me, and although he'd had affairs before, that probably was the thing that pushed him over uh, we did have a child again. We had we had what you call a replacement child. It was a son, and I had prayed for a replacement baby after hearing the nightmares and the thuds night after night. I had prayed, God, can you give me another chance? I'll be a good mom. But even having another child in a few years with a real struggle those few years, he still moved next door, and um, it was almost a relief to both my son and I when he did. Okay,
3: that would lead almost anybody toward a nervous breakdown. Did that happen for
1: you? Yes, it did. Um, I I really thought I was okay after he left. You know, post-abortive syndrome is so sneaky that many women who've had abortion believe, I'm okay. You know, I've gone through it. I'll just never think about it again and I'll be fine. But you know... I sang in the choir on Sunday and on the next Friday had an abortion Mm. and didn't step my foot in the church for years because God wouldn't want a murderer. I didn't recognize the fact that when I heard the vacuum cleaner, it reminded me of the vacuum Mm. that had pulled the baby's body from mine. I didn't recognize that I couldn't hold my grandchildren. I wasn't comfortable with small children. I didn't recognize so many of the little symptoms you just think it's just nothing but when it all adds up and it all goes back and points to that day that I had that abortion it was an eye-opener and when he finally left and I finally faced the demons of the many things that I'd done in the past I literally had a nervous breakdown at work I knew on the way home, as crying and as messed up as I was, that I was going to need help because I was sole income and I had to have money. My son and I had to live. So I went into the family doctor who was not the abortionist, and he saw me and he just said, Kay, there's nothing you and I and God can't get through. Mm. He gave me antidepressants and he suggested that I get a counselor. My son, my replacement baby, was now 16. Mm. He and I were alone. And uh, he and I were very close. We were struggling financially, but I just couldn't go to work. I thought I would be off a week or two. I was actually off about seven months or so. I don't know how we made it, but we made it. I happened to have built up sick leave, and I used every bit of it. Instead of having one counsellor, had three. And this is where the real good part starts.
3: I can't even imagine functioning in that capacity.
1: That's a big chunk of your life. I didn't function. I stayed in bed in a fetal position. My son got himself off to school. He came home, made sure I was okay, went to his job for the evening or went out to his basketball practice, came home, usually brought me a hamburger or fixed me a scrambled egg, and I would stay laying on the bed crying or just zoned out, trying to just forget what I had done for several months. When I had doctor's appointments He got a hold of a couple friends and they would come and take me because I could not get through that front door of our apartment to get to the doctors. It was too heavy to face anybody, to see anybody who knew me. I just couldn't say I'm fine. So I just wanted to lock myself in the apartment and never, ever leave. Bury a hole, pull it in on top of me and forget I ever existed.
2: You're listening to The Story. Today, Kay Painter from Boise, Idaho, is sharing her life journey. Next, we'll hear how she turns her mess into a message and becomes the founder of Remembering Sarah International Ministries. That and more when we return.
0: The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax,
2: and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt's conversation with Kay Painter, author of the book From Sin to Sorrow to Service. As we heard before the break, Kay's life had reached a low point. She had an abortion and was now suffering from depression.
3: So out of those 3 counselors, one of them used the word of God. One of them began to help you to find your worth through scripture. Tell us yes. what you realized.
1: Well, at first I I was kind of cold about it because I kept saying you don't understand. I've been going to church a little bit, but God doesn't want me in church. I'm a sinner. I'm I'm worse than the worst. You know, I don't think there's anybody that's worse and a mother who's a, killed her child, because if I had had a bank robbery and I had shot someone, if I had accidentally hit and run a car or at a person with my car, that would be all something that was an accident. But I planned, I plotted, I signed the paperwork. She should have been safe within my room, but she wasn't. I wanted her gone And I kept reiterating that to him, and he kept looking at me and shaking at me, and he'd say, well, I guess we'll talk next week. And it was a real stumbling block for me to get over it. It took me to realize that God forgave me the very, very first time I cried out to him, probably right there in that abortion clinic, laying on the bed when I screamed, when I saw her body and heard the thud. But I had not forgiven myself. Mm. I remember the day that he finally had enough of me telling him that I couldn't, I couldn't be forgiven, that I had no worth, that I was useless, that he might as well just give up on me, there was nothing they could do. I'll never forget he sat in his chair behind his desk and he himself was dying of cancer. And he pushed himself away from the desk and he folded his arms and he began to rock in his chair behind his desk and he said, Kay, I'm sorry, I guess I just didn't realize till now how very, very special you are. Mm. And I said, what on earth are you talking about? Didn't you hear me? I am nothing. I am no good. I can't be helped. I'm beyond help. And he said, oh, I hear you. I, I, I realize you are really special. And I kept saying, didn't you just hear me? Don't mm. you get it? And he said, yeah, I get it. You're the one that doesn't get it. You see, God sent his son to die on a cross to be beaten To be stabbed, to be stripped of his clothing, the Son of God mocked, crown of thorns jammed on his head, a sword stuck in his side, hung on a cross for hours in pain and agony for the sins of the world. But Kay, you are so special. That's not enough for you. God has to do something more. That's what you're telling him. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. Listen to yourself. You are telling God Christ is enough for everybody else in the world except for Kay Painter. Mm. And it hit me like a load of brick. I had believed that my depth of sin was so far down that God wouldn't want to, even if he could, reach down and pull me up out of the mess that I had found myself in. And he was telling me that I was telling God Christ wasn't enough for just me but for everybody else in the world, it was just fine. It was like somebody hit me with a wet washcloth, and I took a deep breath, and I I got it. I understood. Christ was more than enough, and we went through Scripture after Scripture proving that. That's when things began to turn around for me. I was now married to my third husband, who was a godly man who I lost just last year, and the book is dedicated to... But I told him, I've got to go tell my children, and one weekend at a time, I went from one child to the other. God went before me. You need to read it to find out how God can make a change. When secrets are released, they no longer bind you, Mm. whether it's something that was done to you or whether it's something that you have done. But they all, in their own way and in their own time, loved on me anyway and told me, The the biggest one was my son, my replacement baby. When I finished with him, I'll never forget, after we had cried, he had shared with me his secret that he had that he never wanted me to know. His new bride shared her secret that she never wanted her mother-in-law to know. And that night we sat in a circle on their rug, on their floor in their new home, and we sat there and we cried and praised the Lord together because all three of us that night We're set free of secrets, they no longer could bind us, they no longer could hold us. If there's someone out there that thinks you've done more than God can ever forgive, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. Just get on your knees, ask for repentance, and then accept the grace that's there that's free. It's a gift, it is. It's like you receive a gift at Christmas and there's three things you can do with it. One, you can just stick it up in the cupboard and say, I can use it later. Two, you can take it back to the store and say, I want an exchange. I don't need this. Or three, you can grab that gift of grace and run with it and have the most exciting, elating, thrilling, fulfilling life you've ever imagined. But the secret is you've got to grab it. You've got to accept it. And you cannot do it on feelings alone. It must be done on faith. If you go on feelings You'll never make it because the enemy will continue to whisper in your ear, you're not worth it. So Kay, you
3: dedicate your life right now to sharing your story with others, to bringing others to a realization of of the grace, the love, the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Tell us about your ministry, Remembering Sarah Ministries International. How did that
1: well when i realized after the pastor had talked to me i came home and one night i woke in my room just had a very eerie feeling about it and i just laid on the floor prostrate with my face on the rug and i just said god whatever whatever you ask me to do wherever you ask me to go i will do it i cannot believe i cannot believe that you would forgive me and give me a new start and you've done that for me, and I can't pay you back, and I know I won't get to heaven by my deeds, but if I can do anything, God, I'll do it. Just show me. That's when two weeks later this little church down the street, and I think it was the pastor that ratted on me, <laughs> but uh, asked me to speak, and that was the beginning. I i had told my children, of course, and I got we girls got together, the girls and my daughter-in-law, and we decided... We should honor the baby that I killed in my ministry and so we prayed about it and we came up with Sarah and we wanted her to be remembered so it's remembering Sarah and SARA we just kind of worked at it we just God just gave us sharing again restoring another and that's what my ministry is all about it's not about the sin it's not about the it's not about the ugliness and what's gone on in your life or what somebody has done to you my ministry is to tell you where I have been and where God has put me, and I am nothing special outside of him. If he can do it for a painter, he can do it for anyone.
3: And he's actually exposed you now to 17 different countries. Your story is being heard. Your story is being used. You've now written a book, From Sin and Sorrow to Service. Yes. You're giving the proceeds of the book to pro-life groups that you meet, Tell us, how That's can right. people get their hands on this book?
1: Well, actually, they can get it on my website, which is RememberingSara.org. And Kobo is another site. On it's on, Amazon. It's on uh, Kobo. You can get it through eBook too.
3: And you've got future plans, I believe, to include South Africa, Kenya, India, perhaps returning to your second home, Australia? Yes.
1: I believe I'm coming back for my sixth trip, which is in May. I think I should just buy a little chateau down there someplace and crash down there. If it wasn't for my children, I think I probably would. I love it. Kay,
3: it's a privilege to chat with you. A great reminder that God certainly can use our mess as his message.
1: It is. Just remember if you're listening to this, if you have a secret of any kind, be sure, be very, very sure you've left it at the cross secrets are caustic they keep us separated from what god really wants and that is a personal intimate relationship with him that we can trust him with everything that he will guide us direct us love us protect us take care of us he will lift us up and give us the most exciting life we could ever dream of but we've got to let go of the secrets and the enemy will not like that Don't go by feelings. Go by faith. When you don't feel like you're forgiven, claim it anyway and continue to claim it out loud if you have to. But please, get rid of your secrets because I held mine for 16 years and I wasted 16 years. And now I'm having the time of my life doing something I love to do and serving my Lord with all the heart that I have.
3: Remembering Sarah Ministries International. Again,
1: the website is? remembering Sarah, S-A-R-A, there is no H, dot org. That is my website, and you can order the book through that. From
3: sin and sorrow to service. Kay Painter,
1: God bless you.
3: Thanks so much for your time. We wish you well. God bless you too, Karen. (laughs) Bye-bye. See ya.
2: That was Karen Hunt chatting with Kay Painter in Boise, Idaho, USA. And as we just heard, Kay is the author of the book From Sin to Sorrow to Service. And her website is RememberingSarah.org. That's Sarah, S-A-R-A, RememberingSarah.org. Kay shared a number of important lessons she's learned in her life, one of them being that having secrets can really have a devastating impact in our life. The Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But of course, we need to have wisdom about who to confess our sins to, perhaps a pastor, a counselor, or trusted Christian friend. And then the healing can begin. If you'd like to pray with someone, our prayer line is one 800 Pray for me. That's 1-80-double seven two 936 And we'd love to pray for you at one 800 Double seven two nine three six. Well, thanks for joining us for Kay's Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today.
0: Next time on the story. I just felt like, you know, wow, I cannot deal with this. I cannot cope with this. And, you know, I thought, I could just get my rifle and and of course, you know, I thought about that for about 30 seconds, but God said to me. Well, I promised you that I would never let you face anything that you couldn't deal with. And so, yeah, it was like, you know, the the Word of God was actually like a lifeline, and I just grabbed hold of it.
2: Life started off well for Alan. He was raised in a Christian family and put his faith in Jesus at seven years old. However, as life went on, he began to experience one disappointment after another until he got to the point where he had to decide. Would he continue to trust and rely on his childhood faith in the Lord? Or would he chuck it all in? We'll hear
0: Alan's story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand. Or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, vision is listener supported.